Chapter Eleven of My Brilliant Career. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. My Brilliant Career by Miles Frankton. Chapter Eleven. Yah. Bah, you hideous animal! Ha ha! Your peerless conceit does you credit. So you actually imagine that by one or two out of every hundred you might be considered passable. You are the most uninteresting person in the world. You are small and nasty and bad and every other thing that's abominable. That's what you are. This address I delivered to my reflection in the glass next morning. My elation of the previous night was as flat as a pancake. Dear, oh dear, what a fool I had been to softly swallow the flattery of Mr. Gray without a single snub in return. To make up for my laxity, if he continued to amuse himself by plastering my vanity with the ointment of flattery, I determined to serve up my replies to him red-hot and well-seasoned with pepper. I finished my toilet in a very what's-the-good-of-anything mood, took a last glance in the glass to say, "'You're ugly, you're ugly and useless, so don't forget that and make a fool of yourself again.' I was in the habit of doing this. It had long ago taken the place of a morning prayer. I said this, that by familiarity it might lose a little of its sting when I heard it from other lips. But somehow it failed in efficacy. I was late for breakfast that morning. All the others were half through the meal when I sat down. Granny had not come home till after twelve, but was looking as brisk as usual. Come, Sibella, I suppose this comes of sitting up too late, as I was not here to hunt you to bed. You are always very lively at night, but it's a different tune in the morning, she said, when giving me the usual morning hug. When I was a nipper of your age, if I didn't turn out like grease lightning every morning, I was assisted by a little strap oil, remarked Uncle J.J. "'Sibella shall be excused this morning,' interposed Mr. Gray. "'She entertained us for hours last night. "'Little wonder if she feels languid this morning.' "'Entertained you? What did she do?' queried Granny. "'Many things. Do you know, Gran, that you are robbing the world of an artist "'by keeping Sibella hidden away in the bush? "'I must persuade you to let me take her to Sydney "'and have her put under the best masters in Sydney.' the masters for what? Elocution and singing. I couldn't afford it. But I'll bear the expense myself. It would only be returning a trifle of all you have done for me. What nonsense! What would you have her do when she was taught? Go on the stage, of course. With her talent and hair she would cause quite a sensation. Now, Granny's notions read the stage were very tight-laced. All actors and actresses, from the lowest circus man up to the most glorious canotres, were people defiled in the sight of God, and utterly outside the pale of all respectability when measured with her code of morals. She turned energetically in her chair, and her keen eyes flashed with scorn and anger as she spoke. "'Go on the stage? A granddaughter of mine? Lucy's oldest child?' "'An actress, a vile, low, brazen hussy, "'used the gifts God had given her with which to do good "'in showing off to a crowd of vile, bad men. 
I would rather see her struck dead at my feet this instant. I would rather see her shear off her hair and enter a convent this very hour. Child, promise me you will never be a bold, bad actress. I will never be a bold, bad actress, Granny, I said, putting great stress on the adjectives and bringing out the actress very faintly. Yes, she continued, calming down, I'm sure you have not got enough bad in you. You may be boisterous and not behave with sufficient propriety sometimes, but I don't think you are wicked enough to ever make an actress. Everett attempted to defend his case. Look here, Gran, that's a very exploded old notion about the stage being a low profession. It might have been once, but it's quite the reverse nowadays. There are, of course, low people on the stage, as there are in all walks of life, I'll grant you that. "'but if people are good, they can be good on the stage as well as anywhere else. "'On account of a little prejudice, it would be a sin to rob Sibella "'of the brilliant career she might have.' "'Career!' exclaimed his foster-mother, catching at the word. "'Career! That's all the girls think of now. "'Instead of being good wives and mothers, "'and attending to their homes and doing what God intended, "'all they think of is gadding about and being fast "'and ruining themselves body and soul.' "'and the men are as bad to encourage them.' "'Looking severely at Everard. "'There is a great deal of truth in what you say, Gran, I must admit. "'You can apply it to many of our girls, I'm sorry to confess, "'but Sibella could not be brought up under that classification. "'You must look at her in a different way, if... "'Now look at her as the child of respectable people "'and will not have the stage mentioned in connection with her.' Here Granny thumped her fist down on the table, and there was silence, complete profound. Few dared argue with Mrs. Bossier. Dear old lady, she was never angry long, and in a minute or two she proceeded with her breakfast, saying quite pleasantly, Never mention such a subject to me again, but I'll tell you what you can do. Next autumn, sometime in March or April, when the fruit-preserving and dram-making are done with, "'Helen can take the child to Sydney for a month or so, "'and you can show them round. "'It will be a great treat for Sibella, "'as she has never been to Sydney.' "'That's right. Let's strike a bargain on that, Gran,' said Everard. "'Yes, it's a bargain if I hear no more about the stage. "'God intends his creatures for a better life than that.' "'After breakfast I was left to entertain Everard for some while. "'We had a fine time.' He was a perfect gentleman and a clever conversationalist. I was always desirous of enjoying the company of society people who were well-bred and lived according to etiquette, and possessed of leisure and culture sufficient to fill their minds with something more than the price of farm produce and the hard struggle for existence. Hitherto I had only read of such or seen them in pictures, but here was a real live one, and I seized my opportunity with him. At my questioning and evident interest in his talk, he told me of all the latest plays, actors and actresses with whom he was acquainted, and described the fashionable balls, dinners and garden parties he attended. Having exhausted this subject, we fell to discussing books, and I recited snatches of poems dear to me. Everard placed his hands upon my shoulders and said, "'Sibella, do you know you are a most wonderful girl?' "'Your figure is perfect, your style refreshing, and you have a most interesting face.' 
It is as ever-changing as a kaleidoscope, sometimes merry, then stern, often sympathetic, and always sad when at rest. One would think you had had some sorrow in your life. Lifting my skirt at either side, I bowed several times very low in what I call my stage bow, and called into requisition my stage smile, which displayed two rows of teeth as white and perfect as any twenty-guinea set turned out on a gold plate by a fashionable dentist. The handsome gentleman is very kind to amuse himself at the expense of a little country bumpkin, but he would do well to ascertain if his flattery would go down before administering it next time, I said sarcastically and I heard him calling to me as I abruptly went off to shut myself in my room. How dare anyone ridicule me by paying idle, brainless compliments! I knew I was ugly, and did not want anyone to perjure his soul pretending they thought differently. What right had I to be small? Why wasn't I possessed of a big aquiline nose and tall commanding figure? Thus I sat in burning discontent and ill-humour until soothed by the scent of roses, and the gleam of soft spring sunshine which streamed in through my open window. Some of the flower-beds in the garden were completely carpeted with pansy blossoms, all colours, and violets blue and white, single and double. The scent of mignonette, jonquils, and narcissi filled the air. I revelled in rich perfumes, and these tempted me forth. My ruffled feelings gave way before the delights of the old garden. I collected a number of vases, and filling them with water, set them on a table in the veranda near one of the drawing-room windows. I gathered lapfuls of the lovely blossoms, and commenced arranging them in vases. Part of the old Catechet house was built of slabs, and one of the wooden walls ran along the veranda side of the drawing-room. So the songs Aunt Ellen and Everett Gray were trying on the piano came as a sweet accompaniment to my congenial task. Presently they left off singing and commenced talking. Under the same circumstances a heroine of a story would have slipped away, or if that were impossible without discovery, she would have put her fingers in her ears, and would have been in terrible state of agitation lest she should hear something not intended for her. I did not come there with a view to eavesdropping. It is a degradation to which I never stoop. I thought they were aware of my presence on the veranda, but it appears they were not, as they began to discuss me. Wonderful interesting subject to myself. And I stayed there, without one word of disapproval from my conscience, to listen to their conversation. My word, didn't Grand make a to-do this morning when I proposed to train Sibella for the stage? Do you know that girl is simply reeking with talent? I must have her trained. I will keep bringing the idea before Gran till she gets used to it. I'll work that we should use the gifts God has given us, Racket, for all it's worth. And you might use your influence too, Helen. No, Everard, there are very few who succeed on the stage. I would not use my influence, as it is a life of which I do not approve. But Sibella would succeed. I am a personal friend of the leading manager's and my influence would help her greatly. Yes, but what would you do with her? A young gentleman couldn't take charge of a girl and bring her out without ruining her reputation. There would be no end of scandal, as the sister theory would only be nonsense. There is another way I could so easily stop scandal. Everard, what do you mean? I mean marriage, he replied deliberately. 
"'Surely, boy, you must be dreaming. "'You have only seen her for an hour or two. "'I don't believe in these sudden attachments.' "'Perhaps here she thought of one, her own, as sudden, "'which had not ended happily. "'Ehrard, don't do anything rashly. "'You know you are very fickle and considered a lady-killer. "'Be merciful to my poor little Sibylla, I pray. "'It is just one of your passing fancies. "'Don't wile her passionate young heart away "'and then leave her to pine and die.' "'I don't think she is that sort,' he replied laughingly. "'No, she would not die, but would grow into a cynic and sceptic, "'which is the worst of fates. Let her alone. "'Flirt as much as you will with society bells who understand the game, "'but leave my country maiden alone. "'I hope to mould her into a splendid character yet.' "'But, Helen, suppose I am in earnest at last. "'You don't think I'd make her a bad old hubby, do you?' "'She's not the girl for you. "'You are not the man who could ever control her. "'What I say may not be complimentary, but it is true. "'Besides, she's not seventeen yet, "'and I do not approve of romantic young girls "'throwing themselves into matrimony. "'Let them develop their womanhood first. "'Then I expect I had better hide my attractions under a bushel "'during the remainder of my stay at Caddagat.' "'Yes, be nice to the child as you like, but mind, "'none of these little ladies' man attentions "'with which it is so easy to steal.' "'I waited to hear no more, "'but brimming over with a mixture of emotions, "'tore through the garden and into the old orchard. "'Bees were busy, and countless bright-coloured butterflies "'flitted hither and thither, "'sipping from hundreds of trees, white or pink with bloom. "'Their beauty was lost upon me.' I stood ankle-deep in violets, where they had run wild under a gnarled old apple-tree, and gave way to my wounded vanity. Little country maiden, indeed! There's no need for him to bag his attractions up. If he exerted himself to the utmost of his ability, he could not make me love him. I'm not a child. I saw through him in the first hour. There's not enough in him to win my love. I'll show him. I think no more of him than of the caterpillars in the old tree." "'I'm not a booby that will fall in love with every gussy I see. "'Bah! there's no fear of that. "'I hate and detest men. "'I suppose you are rehearsing some more airs to show us this to-night?' "'sneered a voice behind me. "'No, I'm really sticking. "'And how dare you thrust your obnoxious presence before me when I wish to be alone? "'Haven't I often shown?' "'When a girl is disengaged, any man who is her equal "'has the right to pay his addresses to her if he is in earnest,' "'interrupted Mr. Horden. "'It was he who stood before me.' "'I am well aware of that,' I replied, "'but it is a woman's privilege to repel those attentions "'if distasteful to her. "'You seem disinclined to accord me that privilege.' "'Having delivered this retort, I returned to the house, "'leaving him standing there looking the fool he was.' "'I do not believe in spurning the love of a black fellow "'if he behaves in a manly way. "'But Frank Horden was such a drivelling, mawkish style of sweetheart "'that I had no patience with him.' "'Aunt Ellen and Everard had vacated the drawing-room, "'so I plumped down on the piano-stool "'and dashed into Kolowiski's gallop from that gay decor "'until I made the piano dance and tremble like a thing possessed.' My annoyance faded, and I slowly played that saddest of all waltzes, Weber's last. I became aware of a presence in the room, 
and facing about, confronted Everett Gray. "'How long have you been here?' I demanded sharply. "'Since you began to play. "'Where on earth did you learn to play? "'Your execution is splendid. "'Do sing three fishes, please.' "'Excuse me, I haven't time now. "'Beside, I'm not competent to sing to you,' "'I said brusquely, and made my exit. "'Mr. Horton wants you, Sibylla,' called Aunt Helen. "'See what he wants, and let him get away to his work, "'or your granny will be vexed to see him loitering about all morning.' "'Miss Sibylla,' he began, when we were left alone, "'I want to apologise to you. "'I had no right to plague you, but it all comes of the way I love you. "'A fellow gets jealous at the least little thing, you know.' "'Bore me with no more such trash,' I said, turning away in disgust. "'But, Miss Sibella, what am I to do with it? "'Do with what? My love.' "'Love?' I requited scornfully. "'There is no such thing.' "'But there is, and I have found it. "'Well, you stick to it. "'That's my advice to you. "'It will be a treasure. "'If you send it to my father, "'who will get it bottled up "'and put in Goulburn Museum. "'He has sent several things there already. "'Don't make such a game of a poor fellow. "'You know I can't do that. "'Bag it up, then. "'Put a big stone to make it sink "'and pitch it in the river. "'You'll rue this,' he said savagely. I may or may not, I sang over my shoulder as I departed. End of chapter 11